Great to have you with us, as always, on another edition of the Cover Crop Strategies podcast brought to you by Verdesian Life Sciences. I'm your host, Noah Newman. This week, we're catching up with Chris Conley, a Wisconsin no-tiller who's made the switch from conventional tillage to 100% no-till and cover crops in just five years. Let's jump right in. Without further ado, here's Chris. Hi, my name is Chris Conley. I farm in uh, Neosho, Wisconsin. That's located in Dodge County. Our farm is 174 acres. It consists of 120 acres of workable land. I've got 23 acres of permanent pasture. We milk uh, 52 cows. It's myself, my wife, and my two daughters and my grandma's also involved on the farm we grow cover crops when the corn silage is off and i take high moisture corn off i plant green in the spring of the year and i started two years ago now grazing my rye cover crop off with my cattle and i now i'm transitioning into doing even more grazing where i um am working on cutting uh first and second cutting and then starting to transition into grazing a third and fourth crop. And then when the fall of the year, when I get my corn silage off and my high moisture corn, I let the cows graze over the corn and hay fields. I got a pasture on the boundary of the farm, so I just let the cows go in this fall of the year. So, yeah, that's an introduction of myself. Wow. That's what we do. It sounds like you're doing a lot with cover crops, and, and we'll get into all, all those details here over the next 20 minutes or so. I wanted to ask you, how long have you been farming for? And is, is that running the family? Are, are, are there a lot of generations, or what's the background there? So, my great grandparents started farming here in 1927. They immigrated here from Switzerland. Um, our farm is a very hilly farm. The reason they chose this farm was because it reminded them of their homeland with the hills and all that. So we do farm a lot of hills. I have been farming uh, since high school. I graduated high school in 1999, and I started farming with my grandparents. So now I just took over the management of it. My grandma still owns a farm yet. My wife and I own the cattle and the machinery. And so I started... When I was farming with my grandpa, we were full tillage, chisel plowing and disking and, you know, the full full works. Um, we did have contour strips. My grandpa was pretty big into conservation at his time, but at least he had the contour strips. And then uh, five years ago, I transitioned. Well, first I went to a, a speak with uh, Dodge County Healthy Soil and Healthy Water Group. They're a big farmer-led group here in Dodge County. Um, a friend of mine was wanting me to go to uh, their annual meeting, and I didn't want to at first. I was very hesitant on um, cover cropping and no-tilling because that just didn't seem like it was ever going to work. So I was kind of wishy-washy about going. Finally, I decided to go. It was in February, so I didn't have much else going on. And at that time, I seen uh, a demonstration with the rain simulator. And then I was like, wow, that is really impressive how how uh, ground covered will absorb water and infiltration rates on that compared to work ground, how it doesn't show or doesn't absorb water at all. You think it does, but I mean, and during that demonstration, you can for surely see it doesn't. And then I started watching, uh, you know, TV shows on water quality throughout the world and thought, wow, you know, maybe I should 
think about doing something like that. So I experimented with five acres of land I planted and I had better emergence on my corn than in the conventionally worked ground. So then after that, the next year, I went from five acres of my farm, no tilling, to 100%. And then that second year, I introduced uh, probably 20 acres of rye. And then after that, I planted no-till and that 20 acres of rye. And then the, I seen it working really well. So then the year after that, I went full, full planting green. So within a five-year time, I went from conventional tillage to planting green. Wow. And I've even gotten to the point now where I've sold a chisel plow. I sold two tractors already um, just for the fact that I don't need extra tractors for doing all that tillage work. Um, I have a friend of mine that does my custom harvesting. Um, so that eliminates the need for a big tractor pulling a chopper. So I've kind of consolidated a bunch of things because of the practices that I now do. Wow. I mean, from a five-year window, you just, you really ramped it up there in that five years. Did you, did you have any pushback from your grandparents or I, I, cause they did it one way their entire lives and then boom, you came in and switched things up or. Uh, not really, because when I started transitioning, that's when I started, uh, managing the farm because my grandpa had had a stroke. So then I started, you know, managing the farm and it was an economic thing too, because with us being a small dairy, I really didn't feel the need to have to spend that much extra money on machinery when the way this practice works. So it was kind of a, an economic thing along with the environmental aspect of it too, just for the cost savings on machinery, not having to maintain machinery and stuff like that. So, and especially now with the price of fuel, the way it is, I'm glad that I did make that transition because it saves a lot of money on fuel. Absolutely. It sounds like the timing was just perfect. And you mentioned um, the hills that you farm on. So I'd have to imagine that presents some unique management challenges. How do cover crops help you, uh, overcome some of those challenges, would you say? Well, cover crops work both ways in my favor, I feel, because with the bonus slope that there is to the, the land, it helps with water erosion, and it also helps. It's a two-way street there because it helps with water erosion, and it also helps add more uh, organic matter to the hills, which in return helps keep the moisture retained during hot hot times and dry times because obviously with hills they they're the first to dry out so you know it's nice to be able to keep moisture there with the soil protected and you know with the cover crops it adds a lot of infiltration rates to the to the ground and you and you mentioned how you plant green now uh were you nervous at first when you jumped in with that oh yeah very nervous because (laughs) So along this whole time, I was like really hesitant to even start this because everybody that is no-tilling around my area, they have pretty sophisticated planters. You know, they're big, tra- big planters, both with big, big tractors, a lot of electronics on there telling you, you know, how, what your population is, what your fertilizer rates are, how fast you're going. And I've just got a, a John Deere 7,000 corn planter, still four row wide from the early 80s. I'm like, well, gosh, I'm never going to be able to no-till with this thing because this is just too old and, you know, you can't do nothing like that. So then the funny thing is I started doing a lot of research on the internet, watching YouTube videos and reading articles and all that. 
And come to find out that the early adopters of no-till, I mean, that's what they started planting their crops with. So I'm like, well, if they started out with that, then I should be able to do it. And so I just uh, kind of started looking at planters. And, you know, to be able to put the box to the ground is basically the same thing. It's just that the new planters, you can go faster doing it, and they have the capability of showing you what your downforce pressure is and all that so i just went i'm like well you know if it takes me a little bit longer to plant that's fine because i'm not spending all this time uh chisel plowing and finishing the field and all that so if i drive a little bit slower i'm still money ahead um and so i was like okay this is what i'm gonna do and i took my since i don't use my insecticide boxes i put 250 pound bags of sand in each insecticide box to help with down pressure and then i put uh may west spike closing wheels on it they're poly closing wheels i found them off of uh, craigslist and then i found uh some dawn row cleaners i found them used to and put some keaton seed firmers on there and number of modifications that I've used on my planter, and it works really well. So um, I'd like to tell people, you know, that if you're thinking about doing it, no-tilling, even planting green, the old planters are more than capable of doing it, and you don't have to spend a lot of money on sophisticated equipment to do it. That, so that that that's a, People love to hear that, I'm sure. It's amazing. You know how much you could teach yourself just going online, YouTube, Google, and all that. Mm-hmm. Let, let me ask you this: How how do you terminate? Um, I terminate my rye by I use a spray herbicide to kill the cover crop. I have my local co-op that sprays it. Um, I haven't gotten that far yet to see if I really want to spray or not because I only grow about fifty acres of corn, so I'm right on the fence as to. I know I could save some money on it, but then it's also one of those things, too, that, you know, for that amount of acres, then I don't have to deal with the empty chemical jugs and getting rid of them. So I guess that would be up to people to decide what they really want to do. Um, so, yeah, that's just how I do it. In the future, I would like to get into experimenting with roller crimping. I just haven't got to that point yet. I mean... I've made a lot of changes here in five years, (laughs) and there's still a lot I want to do, and I'm very excited about it, but I just haven't got to that point yet, so... That's funny. I was I was literally just going to ask you about roller crimping because I've been interviewing a few people that have been doing it. So it seems like that's becoming a a lot of people are trying that out. So you'll have to to let us know if you do try it, how it goes. Yeah. Oh, and then I'd like to say to you, you were asking if it was uh, was worrisome planting into a cover crop. Yeah, when I first started planting into a cover crop, it was very worrisome because, I mean, the rye is, I don't know, I planted into three, four-foot-tall rye. I planted into existing sod fields, which were about a foot and a half, two feet tall grass. So it's pretty worrisome. I mean, making a change from a clean field to be planting into a field that's totally overgrown, it's it's a weird feeling, but um, I... The first three years, I was pretty nervous about it. I'd be out there, you know, digging my corn to make sure it sprouted and see if it's coming up and all that. And But now, it, that's one thing that don't really bother me no more. I mean, if you get the cover crop and uh, uh, sod terminated in time, it'll pull through it. So you use cereal rye. Are there any other species that you use? 
Nope, I'm just with Serial Rye right now. I'm on. The, that's another thing I'm also on the fence with right now is because um, by the time I get corn silage off and my high moisture grain, there's not really any extra time left in the year, you know, good growing to degree days to get uh, something else really established real well. Um, I'm thinking about adjusting my corn, maybe planting shorter day corn so I can get it off earlier to get my cover crops planted earlier. Then I could introduce a diff- another species or so into the mix. So that's something else I'm really looking into also. And let's press pause for a second to thank our sponsor, Verdesian Life Sciences. They have a special message for you. At Verdesian Life Sciences, we believe that supplying healthy water and soil for the next generation is just as important as supplying efficient nutrients for every crop farmers grow. For us, sustainability and profitability go hand in hand. That's why we call ourselves the Nutrient Use Efficiency People. We have dedicated ourselves to providing prescriptive nutrient use efficiency solutions that improve plant uptake and reduce fertilizer losses, helping preserve the environment and make the most of your investment. Learn more at VLSCI.com. Now, back to the podcast. What uh, equipment do you use to seed your cover crops? Well, that's kind of a story in itself, too. Oh, yes. (laughs) We got time. Let's hear it. (laughs) Okay. So when I first started planting my cover crops, once again, I did not have anything for no-tilling. So I just used my conventional grain drill, went out there, and planted the cover crop. I did that for the first year I experimented with it, and then the second year. Then then I rented a no-till drill, and that made a huge difference. Then I was like, well, I really want a no-till drill, but I can't really afford one. So I wound up finding a no-till drill in Missouri, and it was a, an old United Farm Tool no-till drill. <laughs> Them drills are pretty pretty obsolete now. But the thing is, is that with that drill, is that um, everything's pretty much uh, standard-sized uh, bolts, nuts, bushings, bearings, except for the... Seed seed disc bearings and seed disc, but them I can get from Shoop. The gauge wheels were um, I found them in Shoop from uh, they're the same as some John Deere piece of equipment, so that was kind of universal. So I found out that there's some things that are universal on there. So if you're good at working on machinery, it's an all right drill. It's a good drill to start out with. So I mean, eventually I would like to upgrade, but just at this time is funds don't really allow for that so it's the best i could do at the time so it's working hey you're getting the most bang for your buck what uh what how what are your rates like how many pounds of cereal rye do you apply per acre would you say off the top of your head well i started out with about 60 and last year i upped it to 90 to 100 pounds because it was going to be i was going to try roller crimping this year but it didn't work out. Um, the rye wasn't tall enough to roller crimp by the time I went to plant corn because we had a, I planted it late and we had a cool spring, cool wet spring. So the rye just wasn't able to, um, it just didn't work in my favor to roller crimp it. So, but it worked out where I grazed it because the cows had more feed there. So perfect transition. I was just going to ask you about grazing. I know you mentioned it off the top of the interview, but sounds like that's a big part of your cover crop game plan you get a with the grazing with it just uh, give us the details on that and the benefits you've seen from grazing cover crops um so like i said we've had 23 acres of permanent pasture that started out my grandpa had 
um, all the pastures laid out. That was land that was too steep to farm, so uh, he was grazing cows at that. I started now dividing them pastures up into halves. And now in the spring of the year, I've even gone as far as them halves I make. I've even used temporary uh, poly wire now to graze, only give them so much at a certain time because the pastures are becoming better with better management practices on that. Um, through the pasture part, I've noticed that with giving them only so much per day or per 12 hours during milking times, it better spreads the manure out through the pastures because before with a, such a large area, the cows were um, usually going to one area, leaving the manure there, and then going and eating the grass down to the ground and other areas. But now with the manure and um, me moving them better, the grass is better um, all throughout the pasture. And what I've seen on that, the water infiltration rates are a lot better on that because now the grass grows back a lot faster and I don't graze it all the way down to the ground. So I leave about a five to six inch stubble behind and the grass grows back a lot faster because of that. And with the taller armors of soil, water infiltration rates are better. I've started now with my contour strips, um, running poly wire on that. Same practice as the pastures of springtime. I move a wire, poly wire every 12 hours. So in the morning, I move it, give them that amount of area. Then when I bring the cows to milk, I move the wire again. So at nighttime, they have uh, more of an area to eat. And then if it gets too far, I also run a back wire to keep them from going back over the stuff that they have eaten off. So that's something that I'm really getting into now, too. Um, and then as far as grazing cover crops, I just started that last year. I grazed the... Uh, fields closest to the buildings on the cover crop rye and that really works out well because that's probably given me close to an extra month's worth of feed that i don't have to uh i can either store for over summertime um or that i don't have to make so that's worked out really well too and it works really well with uh, the cows grazing it because they're out there making their feed spreading their own manure and there's very little i have to do with them besides putting a wire up in springtime and then when the cows are done i just go out there plant corn uh the rye will keep growing so i do terminate that with herbicide then too so that's that's pretty awesome i'm really really happy with with how this is all turning out and working in my favor so yeah it's amazing how much you've accomplished in five years do you do you still go to the the dodge county meetings or have you interacted with any of those farmers and and told them about how you know, the light bulb went on for you thanks to them and how much it's kind of changed your operation? Oh, yeah, I'm I'm very involved with that group. Um, Tony Pyrick, he's the chairman with it. He uh, he actually had the governor of our state come out to our farm and see how the cover cropping is working and see the cows grazing and all that. Yes, I'm very active with it. I told, I told the group that I wouldn't be where I'm at without that farmer-led group because, you know, with them, they're the ones that had shown me well, not showing me, but showing a whole group of people what the benefits of this can do for you. Um, so, yeah, it's the Dodge County Farmer Group is a, a very good group. And I would suggest to uh, anybody that, you know, if you're thinking about a practice like that, they get involved with a farmer-led group. I mean, there's 
I found out that there's no stupid questions to anything like this. If you got the question, just ask it. People that are involved in these groups are more than willing to uh, help you out. And, you know, they may even learn something off of an idea because you ask a question. Um, people that are involved in these watershed groups and farmers like like myself that are involved with practices like this, you know, we're, we're all trying to learn something, too. We don't all know everything, so it's... It would be a good thing to ask a question because you never know what that might make a light bulb go on for somebody else, too. So it'd be a very good thing to um, get involved in a group like that or people that are doing practices like that. I mean, you don't even have to be afraid to go up to them and ask them questions because myself, I, I'm more than willing to answer questions if I can answer them for somebody else. You know, if it'll help them out on their farming operation, help them with uh, soil quality, water quality, even the economics of it. I mean, that's a good thing for anybody farming. Well, we'll end with this. Just thinking about your you know, five year journey into no till and cover crops. What would you say were some of the biggest challenges you faced uh, when you first started with cover crops? And, uh, you know, the, what, the biggest benefits that kind of kept you pushing through those challenges? Some of my biggest hurdles in the whole thing was one was my equipment you know i wasn't really sure if it was going to work um two i was a small farmer i didn't know if there's going to be anybody out there that wanted to work with me on that um i guess weather conditions when i first started planting um going from tillage to non-tillage the soil wasn't really conditioned so there's a lot of smearing of the sidewalls um the soil was a lot wider and tackier but now as i've been doing it the soil's been becoming uh, more mellow um it's not as wet when i plant just because the soil's getting more conditions getting healthier so it takes a you know it takes some time to get your soil conditioned and and uh working again after tillage after you've been you know tilling it and when you when you go through the chisel plow or moldboard plow, you know you're making uh, you're basically pushing the soil and sliding it off to the side of your shovel so it compacts it and makes it tight and you know so that that was one con- uh, problem I guess I had on that. Um, uh, benefits I've seen from it is just the whole aspect of I don't have any erosion anymore. The water infiltration seems like the crops are getting healthier now. So them are all things that I've seen. Well, great stuff, Chris. This has been a, an awesome conversation. 20 minutes have just flown by. Anything else you want to add before we let you go? Um, I'd also like to point out, too, that, you know, it's, it's kind of a more of a peaceful thing when you're out there planting into a living crop. It's just, you know, I really love the bright blue sky and planting into something green. You can see the birds that are flying around um, in an open field that's, perfectly finished you know you don't have the birds nesting in the grass and all that and it's just the wildlife aspect that comes back to it when you're out planting and what you see going on is it's a really awesome thing it's pretty cool and that'll wrap things up for this week's edition of cover crop strategies thanks to chris conley once again for joining us thanks to our sponsor verdesian life sciences you can check out everything they have to offer at vlsci.com and of course Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, remember, for all things cover crops, head to covercropstrategies.com.